be here? Wow, for you three, thank you for being here, wow. The rest of you, I apologize that you are here. No, I'm just kidding. Glad you're here. I'm so glad that uh, you've taken time out of your day to be with us. Um, most of you saw the uh, construction zone in the back there. That's going to be the new sound booth, and so we're excited about that. We're seeing some progress happen there, and uh, so it's coming together. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you can... And so hopefully uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some improvements to our sound, so we're, we're very excited about that. Let's pray, and we're going to get right into today's uh, message. And uh, are the choir people still here? Did they stick around? I don't know if they had to leave. There's Janelle. Janelle's one of our own. We're so glad. Thank you to the choir again. That was great. Yeah, we really appreciate them coming. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us, that you have put your heart and your spirit within us. And Lord, we want to accomplish everything that you've called us to accomplish. Lord, we want to walk in the promises of God. We want to walk as David did and fulfill our destiny to our generation. And Lord, again, we want to finish the race well. We want to live a transformed life. We want to run well. We want to finish well. And so, God, we give you today. We uh, thank you again for your presence that's here. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and that, Lord, we would again have ears to hear and a heart to respond to what you're telling us in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can see the title up there as uh, Embracing the Discipline, uh, the Discipline of God. Uh, so this is kind of a continuation of where we've been in Hebrews 12, the living the transformed life. And so... Again, just to kind of reiterate, this series has been twofold. It's, it's living the transformed life because that is what God desires for all people is that we live lives that are transformed to become more and more like Christ, that we are, in, we are all in process. And uh, that is a merciful, gracious thing from God that we're all in process. None of us have it all figured out. If you do, can we talk later? Because I want to find out your secrets and then I'm going to pray for you for lying. Um, because we don't all have it figured out, and we're in process. And uh, Paul tells us, he's, he, in, in Romans 12, he said, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that there is a process that the Lord is doing in each one of us to, to transform us, to make us more and more like Jesus Christ, and that is his desire in us. And then the other part of this series is finishing well, running the race well and finishing well, because, folks, we're all going to get to the end of the race at some point. And whether that's young or old, whether the Lord returns or he puts off his return for some time, we are all going to see the end of the race. We are going to pass from this life to the next. And I believe that it is God's great desire for us to finish well. That he wants us, as Paul says, to forget what lies behind and run the race that is set before us. And he wants us to come to that place where we stand before him on that day because we will all give an account. Every single one of us will give an account to the Lord Jesus. We will stand before him. And I want to hear those words that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into everything that was created for you from the foundations of the earth. Everything that I paid for by my shed blood, by the, the price that was purchased uh, for you on the cross, enter into everything that is yours. I want to hear those words, don't you? God wants us to finish well. He wants all of us to see him face to face. The sad reality is, as we know, there are a lot of people that don't finish well. And I want to change the trend. I want, to, I want to have a church. I want to be a culture that finishes well, that runs well, and runs with perseverance and endurance and keeps our eyes on Jesus. We talked about uh, the things that, that hinder us from finishing well. We talked about sin issues. I did a couple of, of messages on sin, sin and uh, how the enemy wants to trap us up. The loss of focus, forgetting that we were created for a loving relationship with Jesus. Some of us get weary and we give up. Some of us need to have that revelation that, that, that God wants control of our lives and we have to daily give up control to him and surrender. And that's very hard. 
It's very hard is to, to, to daily give him control and say, Lord, I surrender to you today. I surrender my day to you. I surrender my life to you. But that is one of the keys to, to running the race well and finishing well is to give him control every single day. He wants that control. And guess what? In our flesh, we want it too. And so we have to daily give that control to him. And, and last week we talked about that, that key or a couple weeks ago, we talked about that key of finishing well, of keeping our eyes on Jesus, focused on Jesus, the one who wants to author and finish our faith. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews says is he, Jesus wants to author your life. He wants to develop and build your life. And again, that is that place of control to let him build our lives. Today, we're going to look at another major key of finishing well. And that again is, is up here is embracing God's discipline. This is one of the keys to finishing well, and the opposite is true. One of the main reasons why people don't finish well is they reject God's discipline in their lives. What thoughts come into your mind when you hear the word discipline? And we could get all kinds of different answers to that question. Some people have a mindset of, of punishment, bad discipline, abuse, or neglect, some people get in the mindset, if you were an athlete or a, if you're a musician, you understand what discipline means. Some people's minds go to maybe what it means to be a disciple of Christ, the key word disciple, discipline, the dis living the disciplined life. But when we hear the word discipline, there's so many things that happen in our mind based on maybe our upbringing, based on, on uh, how we were disciplined as children. My hope is, is that after this, after talking about this, because this is a hard topic to talk about, embracing God's discipline, but I'm hoping and I'm praying that after we talk about discipline, you're going to love God more when you leave here. That is my hope, because a lot of times, oh, oh no, discipline, it, man, he's going to go after us today. Well, I'm going to go after us, but I'm going to go after us in the place of God loving us deeply. We're going to have kind of a conversation today about God's discipline. And whatever you have gone through, whatever you've endured in your life, if, you're, if, if, if you were disciplined in a negative way, if you were abused, you were neglected, I want to tell you, first of all, that God is not like that. God is the perfect father that does not abuse. God does not neglect. God does not use bad discipline. He is a loving, perfect father. I want you to hear the heartbeat of that as we go along here. We're going to look at what God's discipline is, and we're going to look at what it is not. And then that whole word of embracing his discipline, to love it, to accept it, to submit to it, to surrender to it. And if we do that, it will give us freedom. It will give us true life. It will give us peace and it will give us joy, I promise you. And so as, you, as we have this conversation, basically I want to put three kind of ideas, three truths up here, and we're going to remain kind of in the thought process and kind of talking about these things as we move forward, but three big ideas. And you can see them as we, as we put that up there on the next slide, I think. There we go. Boom. Wasn't that pretty? As we're all like mesmerized by that, weren't you? But these three life-changing truths, these three big ideas, number one, and again, and I want you to understand these things as we talk about God's discipline. Number one is in Christ, we are God's children. We're going to look at some passages of, passages of Scripture. So as we talk, about, I'm going to leave this. This is the only slide today because I want you to get these things in your heart as you hear about God's discipline that in Christ we are God's children. Number two, God disciplines us out of his passionate, intense love for us. And thirdly is to live the transformed life and to finish well, we must embrace, love it, accept it, submit to it, this discipline. Before we go to Hebrews chapter 12, and that's kind of our key and main text, I want to look at a couple of passages that reveal God's heart for us as his children, kind of that first thought up there that we are God's children. The first revelation to help us embrace his discipline. 
Because as we all know, discipline without relationship is disheartening, isn't it? Some of us have that experience. Maybe as a child, maybe you were you had a heavy-handed uh, parent or 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 you know, oversight in your life, they were very heavy-handed with you, but they didn't have much relationship with you. That is a disheartening and very painful process. They brought discipline. Discipline in itself is good, but they didn't have much relationship there. God wants us to know through the, through, through the Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, that He is the ultimate relational Father. Everything that he does, everything that he does is out of love and for our good. And we got to separate a thought here because a lot of times we hear discipline and we, we immediately assume punishment. It's two different words. It's two different words. Jesus took our punishment of sin upon himself. When we submit and surrender our lives to Christ, we don't have to endure the punishment for our sin. Jesus has already paid that. Discipline is a loving father bringing correction to us. We're going to get more and more into that. But everything he does is out of his love for us and for our good. He's the perfect, ultimate relational father. First of all, is Romans 8, 14 and 15. I'm going to read this. I don't... I don't I didn't put them up there, but uh, you, can, you can write these down. You can uh, think about these later. But listen to this. This is what Paul says, Romans 8, 14 and 15. There's a lot more, a lot more scriptures, but I'm just going to give you a few. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Ladies, you can grab daughters there too. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Immediately when some people hear discipline, they have a fearful memory. They have maybe somebody was heavy-handed or abusive. We can, we can think fearful thoughts. But you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Get this in your heart today. And by him we cry, by who? By Jesus Christ we can cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ. That is exciting and great news. That we are not slaves to fear. We are not these cowering slaves that, that, that just respond with kind of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just trembling in fear. Now we're having a fear of God, but not a terror of God. But he calls us sons and daughters, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba there is a covenant. It's like, it's like daddy. It's like the, 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 the picture there is the, the, the loving father that you jump up on his lap and hug him around his neck kind of picture. That Jesus is revealing that, and Paul is talking about that, that Jesus is revealing the father as Abba, Father. That's when the, the, the interesting thing that Jesus would remember when his disciples said, teach us to pray. And the first thing he says is, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus, this is a radical teaching of the day. He's saying God up there, the big creator of the universe, he wants to be your father. He wants to be your father. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why you were created, is he wanted a relationship with you. Galatians 3.26, this is also Paul. He calls us, he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, when we live life and we have given our lives to Christ, we have been called sons. And ladies, you can grab daughters there. You are called sons and daughters of God. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. You are God's child when you belong to Christ Jesus. And then I love at Jesus' baptism, you know, John the Baptist, he comes up and John the Baptist is, says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. And, and then Jesus says, I, I want you to baptize me. And John says, you should be the one baptizing me. And Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness, I want you to baptize me. And so they take him into the Jordan River and he baptizes Jesus. And something profound, something powerful happens. There's a voice from heaven. And it says this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Now that can be, you know, we, can, we can hear that and maybe, uh, you know, that's God the Father talking to God the Son and that's awesome and, you know, that's very sweet. But you got to realize in context, Jesus had not done, he's not had, he has not started his earthly ministry yet. He had done no ministry. God was making a statement that before you do any ministry, before you do anything as far as kingdom work, you need to know that you're a son. You're my son. And so many times we look for God to validate us. We start doing good works and good things because we're trying to get God uh, to like us more or to try to gain his favor somehow. You need to know that in Christ Jesus, before you do anything for anyone else, God looks at you and says, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. God's proud of you as his child. We have to stop working so hard to try to gain his favor. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you can get no more favor and no more love than that God has. He loves you intensely. Sons and daughters of God. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And so we need this frame of reference as we talk about his discipline. That he has a plan for us. We talked about this last week, that he has a race marked out for us, as it says in Hebrews 12. Run the race that is marked out for you. Jesus has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for every life. And he wants you to run that race. He wants us to walk in everything he has for us. You know, that, as a believer, that, that, is one of those, that, that is one of those questions that we wrestle with all the time is, what does God want me to do? I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And, and it can be this passion within our heart is I just want to find out what God wants me to do. Well, more than your passion and desire, God has a plan for you. And he wants you to walk in everything that he has for you. He wants it more than you do. And he wants us to run well. He wants us to finish well. And he wants us to receive our eternal reward. And since that is truth and we grab hold of that as truth, he disciplines us when we get away from his plan. When we get off on our own, he brings loving, passionate, intense love and discipline to get us back on the track. When we stop running the race that is marked out for us, when we get into sin, when we are doing things selfishly, he corrects us to bring us back into his plan because he does not want us to do our own thing. He wants us to do what he's called us to do and he lovingly brings us back. Or if we stop running the race, we get weary. He will bring his discipline because he deeply loves us. Let's look at the text, Hebrews 12. If you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews 12, we're going to be looking at several verses here. Some of my message, I, I stayed in one verse. This one's going to be a lot of verses. But I want you to hear the heart that God has for us, the heart behind his discipline. And I want you to leave here today loving God more and even desiring to embrace his discipline in a greater way. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, and I'm reading from the, the NIV, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten what that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Listen to what he says. You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Now, in context, these folks were kind of spread all out. There was a lot of persecution going on in the day. They had become Christians. Some of, you know, they had accepted Christ, and so they were under intense persecution. And so they were, they were having to hide some of them. And so he, he's saying this. He said, in your struggle against sin and your struggle against weariness, you've not, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes Proverbs. He says this, my son. Ladies, you can say, my, my son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those that he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. 
again, Proverbs 3. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Obviously, that's not true for every single person because some people endured abuse and that is not right at all. And he's talking about, you know, the, the, the norm, the usual thing is if you had good discipline, you respected your father for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they, while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may be disabled, may not be disabled, but rather healed. So do you hear the heartbeat behind God's discipline? God does use difficult circumstances to get our attention or to teach us, or to reveal something to us. But his heart in discipline, you could say it like this, it's course correction out of love. When we veer off, it's course correction to get us back on the path. When I was in the Air Force, I, uh, we lived at, at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, and they, had these, they have these running trails that uh, we would go out and hike on or run on, and... Uh, and there was, a, there was many of them, and, and I had not been on all of them, and I went out running by myself one evening, and, um, and I'm telling you this story because it'll make sense in a minute, but I'm, I'm coming back, and I'm, I'm on this trail, and, and I am pretty sure that I'm running kind of parallel with another trail to get me back to the, the trailhead to go on home. And you know... Ever so slightly in, on that trail, you know, you'd make a little curve here and a little curve there. And I'm thinking, well, these little curves, I think that they balance each other out. And, you know, I'll eventually get to that trailhead. And I'm pretty sure I'm on the right track here. I tell you, it was kind of one of those moments that kind of freaks you out. I come and I see kind of up ahead, there's an opening. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, whoa, it looks like the trail ends here, and I have not seen this. So I went, I went jogging up to this opening. Well, the opening, to give you an idea, all right, if the trailhead is here and it's running parallel, I was like over in that parking lot. To give you an idea, I was completely off the mark. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm just, you know, it's little variations, I'm going to get I'm, I'm, I think I'm running alongside another trail. I was so far off. I came out, and there's the highway. And I'm like, well, that was, I, I, I completely deceived myself where I thought I was. And you see in that story, and it, and it kind of was a spiritual truth that, that God spoke to me, that how subtle and deceiving it is because you think that you are close to where you need to be. And if you get off the mark a little bit, you can get so far off that you don't realize how far you are off. And God uses discipline to bring course correction back on track, getting us back on the path that he wants us to run. It's a self-deception. That's why deception is so dangerous, is that we don't know it yet. We don't know what we think we know. And that's why we need God. We need him every day. We need his discipline. We need his course correction in our lives. Verse 4 in that passage says, In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He uses the word struggle there. Struggling is a part of discipline. When we struggle, it means that we are in the game, if you will. When we struggle, it's representing, it, it's, it's saying that there's something happening. And you can, the same context, and I've used this before, it's kind of like the butterfly in the cocoon. It's there's a struggle to become what God intended it to be. It goes from, you know, the little worm to the caterpillar. And there's that process, that transformational process that's happening in the cocoon. The, the struggle 
actually gives strength to fly. And so when, when you're struggling with something, and that's why he says in there that God uses circumstances in our lives, sometimes struggles in our lives as discipline to make us stronger. You're not just enduring it for no reason at all. God does not just make us go through something with no purpose behind it. Struggle gives us strength to fly. And so all transformation has an element of struggle to it. Ask athletes, ask musicians when they are learning. No one in here that, that plays a musical instrument with, with any level of skill, they, they, they struggled. The frustration, those, those frustrating lessons when you didn't feel like it and your hands are sore and I know nothing about it because I'm not a musician. I just know people when I talk to people. You know, the guitar, when you are getting those building up, and, and somebody told me that because I was learning some chords in the guitar, and you can see how good I am because I play all the time, but um, I'm learning these chords, but they said, you know, if you can get through that, that the, you know, the, getting the calluses on your finger, that's the struggle. It, it's going to hurt for a while, but on the other side of it, you're going to know how to play. The cramps in the hand of, you know, the piano when you're playing notes and you're learning, there's a struggle. There's that element of struggle because God is doing something in and through you. Don't resist the struggle. Embrace the struggle. See, the enemy works against those who are making an impact or who have potential to make an impact. The father is, he, he, he allows things and he allows struggle sometimes because he loves us and he has something for us. And he doesn't want to just bust us out of those circumstances sometimes too soon. It's like the, you know, the, the, you're thinking the merciful thing is to release that butterfly out of that cocoon because it seems like it's just having such a hard time. It needs to have the hard time because God's developing in there, in there something to allow it to fly. And if you, in mercy, interrupt the process, it will never be able to fly. So God does allow those kind of things. He's the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. Again, he's not abusive or negligent. He isn't underprotective and he's not overprotective. Those are those extremes. Sometimes God allows circumstances in our lives when we are, are bent on having it our way. And that's one, you know, when that's one of the, the those valuable lessons when we, we've seen it with our kids is they're bent on doing something and finally you just let them go ahead and do it and they learn the lesson the hard way. There's nothing more satisfying to a parent is when your child realizes the hard way and then they admit to you that you were right. Whew, you're just like, yes. Tell me that again, please. Let me hear you say that again and again. Or with our spouse or with someone, you know, when, when you come to that place, you were right. And I had to learn that lesson the hard way. So God's not underprotective. He's not overprotective. And he allows us to go through those things to struggle. Because he also wants us to realize our reliance and our dependence on him. He's a father who is perfect love. He is perfect hope. And he is our care. Again, his discipline is purposeful, and it comes from his compassion to us. It's for our best. He sets up parameters for our good. And again, parents understand this concept when we see our children making bad decisions that affect their lives negatively. And we need to know that when we do our own thing and we're getting off course and we are, are, are making our own decisions and we're taking control, God is our Father. It does grieve His heart because the decisions we make have ramifications that can affect our eternity. And when, when He sees it, that the potential is to affect our eternity or affect His plan for our life, you better believe that it grieves His heart. Just as a loving parent, when you see your kid veering off and you've said, all you know to say. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? You've said all you can say, and they're veering, and it grieves your heart. We need to know again today, and, and, and let, it, let it be something that, again, is not a condemning thing, but when we do our own thing, it grieves the heart of God because he, not just that he's mad at us, but he says, oh, I want to save you so much heartache. 
I want to save you from the plan that you're trying to make for yourself because I have a plan for you and I want to bring some course correction in your life. But if you will listen to me, if you will obey me, you will have some love. You will have peace in your heart. And it does grieve him when we do our own thing. Discipline is the hard stuff. But that's the stuff that makes us his followers, his disciples. You know it's easier not to discipline? You ever get that frustrated? And I can talk as a parent where you just feel like it'd just be easier just to let them do it. I don't want to fight this battle anymore. I don't want to go over this again and again. And it's just easier not to discipline and just let things go. Of course, the Bible says train up a child. Disciple a child in the way they would go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. See, God doesn't ask us to do something that he is not already willing to do himself, and that's why he brings discipline. Discipline's the hard stuff, but it's the fruitful stuff that helps people. God allows certain things and works, but then he works everything out for our good if we will submit to it. He uses all things, but he doesn't give all things. Let me, let, me, let me bring a little balance here. He does not give sickness to teach a lesson. He does not give one of your loved ones cancer to teach them a lesson. Now, can he use that for his glory? Absolutely. He can use everything. But he does not give bad things to teach us a lesson. He can use them in our lives. Just as I was talking about Johnny Erickson, who was paralyzed from from her neck down. For the longest time, she begged God to heal her. And God could have. And she says, now I, I, I... I'm just embracing what God has for me. God didn't, you know, God didn't break her neck. But God's allowed that to happen in her life to bring forth fruit and to glorify him. That's why she said he is, he is more after internal things in my heart than he is outward things. He could heal her in a moment. And people do get healed. And I believe that God heals. But he is also about getting glory for himself. That is his chief purpose. And he's using her life like never before, and he's using her to touch hundreds of thousands of people, and people are coming to Christ through her ministry. But we must be careful that how we even talk about judgments and make sure our heart is right before him ourselves. It's easy to point at other people. Say that's God's judgment. You know, when, when Hurricane Katrina came through and it did so much devastation and there were some people that were saying, well, this is God's judgment on that area. We have to be very careful how, what we say. There was a ministry down there, one of the guys from that ministry, and they were down there helping people rebuild stuff, hand out food and water. And they asked him, they, they, they asked him this question. They said, what did you think about when ministries were saying that's God's judgment? And he said, well, it's very interesting. If, if that's God's judgment, he said, some of the most vile places down here in New Orleans, I mean, where there is all kinds of sin abounding. And he said, it's awful. He said, none of those areas were touched. He said, so if this is God's judgment, his aim was off. And he said, also, there were several churches down there that were doing great ministry, loving the lost, loving their community. And there's those churches were just wiped out, destroyed. He said, so if it's God's judgment, his aim is off. He said, we're not here to say what God's judgment is or isn't. We're here to love people and to serve people and to help people. That's what God's called us to do as the church. See, because God uses even what the enemy means for evil, he can turn it into good. We have to believe that, even in, our, in the discipline. When we get off, he can use things in our lives to course correct us back for our good and his glory. God disciplines us through conviction. That internal thing that you know what is going on, you know it's like, I know this is wrong, I, and, and God is trying to course correct you. Listen to that. Don't, don't push that off. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the names of the Holy Spirit are our teacher, convictor, counselor. He is the greatest at it. And when he is speaking to your heart, be quick to obey. When we sin or when we go our own way or when we maybe don't do something that he's asking of us. The book of James says, remember, it is sin to know what to, you ought to do and then not do it. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. One of the the chief purposes of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says is that he comes to convict us of sin. 
So he brings conviction. That is out of his love. When you feel that conviction, obey it and say, God, thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for loving me. Some things that we're facing, even right now, some circumstances in our lives, we know exactly what we need to do. We know exactly what he's calling us to do. We just have to have the courage to do it. He's the dad, and we are not. He knows stuff that we don't. Trust him. You know, it's the big picture thing as a parent when you especially when your kids are little and you see something that they don't and then you correct something or you take something away from them or you remove them from something dangerous and all they can see is what you remove from them but as a parent you have seen the big picture and you love them deeply and they're just offended with you and your heart is if you could just see what I'm protecting you from if you could just understand how much I love you and at that moment they don't get it they don't look at it as love. Oh, thank you so much. Mom, Dad, you are amazing. Wouldn't that be great? God sees the big picture. And when he brings correction, when he brings discipline, sometimes it's hard. We don't get it. We don't see the big picture, but we can trust him. Also in, in the conviction is, is the, as, as what Jesus says, the greatest commandment, he says, love God and love others. I would say this in the place of discipline, get right with God and get right with others. In relationships, God wants to begin to mend and bridge relationships and where there's been wedges that have been driven, offense, unforgiveness. God wants us to love him and get right with him, but then he's going to want us to get right with others. Lay those things down, forgive he disciplines with natural consequences of our actions. And when he does that, our response to him is the key. What will our response be? Sometimes he disciplines us by putting people in our lives that bring correction. Sometimes it's people in authority that are over us or people that he's put in our lives to show us something about ourselves. Maybe our spouse, maybe a coworker, maybe somebody that loves you at church. And when we have somebody in authority or we have somebody that brings us a corrective or a word, what do we do? What is our response? Do we kick against it or do we honor? Or do we listen? Because our attitude determines if we pass the test. And here's the great thing about God. You don't get to, you don't get to fail any test. You just get to keep retaking it. And our attitude determines if we pass the test. Because a lot of times if we get a corrective word or somebody brings discipline into our lives, because God uses people and we immediately go to offense and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to cut off relationship with you and our attitude is wrong, I tell you, we're, we're, we're inviting a lot of worse things that are going to come down the pike pretty soon after that. But it's to go to God and say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? I want to be right with you. I want to be right with people. So God uses all of that stuff. Again, give people permission to speak into your life. Give people permission. Verse 5a, he says this, you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And so what he's saying is the fact that he would discipline us reveals what he feels about us. The fact that he would take time out to, to dis bring discipline to your life means that he loves you. There's security in discipline. There's security in parameters because he's preparing us for great things and he's revealing his love when he does it. A lot of times we don't discipline because we think or we, you know, we don't bring correction because we think, oh, it might be too hard on, the, on someone even our children, but we understand when we see disciplined kids versus undisciplined kids, we're not helping them. Discipline actually brings them great security. Correction brings them security because it's, you're saying, here's what I see in you. Here's what I see for you. They might not see it at the time, but they will appreciate it later. 
Because he disciplines, he's showing me what he sees in me. And sometimes the greatest act of love is to bring us into alignment and to correct our course. It isn't love just to let people do whatever they want to do. Our children, you know, I think of our children again, and God is our father. It's not loving to just say, well, do whatever you want to do because I don't want to squelch your personality. As Mark, uh, Mark Lowry said, my mom used to squelch my personality all over the house. Letting us do whatever we want to do, that's not true freedom. His discipline proves that I'm his. You know, when we bring discipline to our children, you know, of course, in the South, when we were growing up, you, other people would discipline other people's kids. That was a little weird. But you don't discipline, you don't generally discipline other people's kids. Now, I mean, you might say, hey, you know, slow down, don't run, and that kind of thing, or at school. But I'm talking about parental discipline. You don't parentally discipline other people's kids, unless you're in a place of authority at school. Again, that's different. But I'm talking about general in life. God's discipline reveals that we're his. When he brings discipline, we can celebrate the fact that he loves me and I belong to him. Because when you see an unruly kid, it doesn't take long to find out who the mom is. Come back here. I don't go chasing other people's kids in Walmart. That's a funny thought, isn't it? Come back here. But his discipline proves that I'm his. When he chases me down at Walmart, everybody knows that God's my dad. And he brings correction. The idea of discipline, even the wordage there is to reveal his heart as like a great coach or a great teacher. The greatest coaches that you see, they don't coddle their players. They don't say, well, you know, if you don't feel like coming to practice today, that's okay. You got a tummy ache, you just stay at home. Or you don't see too many successful coaches, I should say. There's something, a great coach knows that balance of love and discipline. I had a great ten, high school tennis coach. It was a, it was a lady. She was, she was kind of a mom to us, but she was kind of a drill sergeant too. And I so appreciate it because I, I learned a lot from her. I, I, I mean, I, I, I just gleaned a lot from this. Like she was a great coach. She knew the proper balance of motivation and uh, get your rear in gear, if you know what I mean. First, first two weeks of tennis practice, of course, in Tennessee, we get to start in February. Of course, we could have done that this year. I mean, the first announcement she makes is, you will not need a tennis racket for two weeks. You know, and all the new kids are going, I thought we were playing tennis. And she said, you're going to be running. You're gonna, we're going to condition you to get you ready. And, and she had a conditioning program that was second to none. And she wasn't real nice about it sometimes. You know, all, the, all those little crawls and stuff. And she, she had studied about conditioning because she said, guess what? When you get into those long matches and your opponent's tank is empty, you're going to still have something in the tank. And you're going to be ready. And you're going you're gonna to finish the match well. And she always had that, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't, you know, she would love us and mom us a little bit, but she would sometimes put her around and she'd, she'd say, you can win this match. You've got to get your head in the right place. And I just remember gleaning so much from that, and there's so many spiritual analogies there. And even as the greatest coach or teacher that we've ever had, God is perfect. And there's sometimes he puts his arm around, I love you deeply, but I want you to finish well. Today, I'm not going to coddle you and I'm going to point you in the right direction. I'm going to bring discipline and course correction in your life because you desperately need to run well and finish well. You can do this. You can do this. And he loves us. And he cares about us. His discipline isn't rejection, but it's the utmost of acceptance. He accepts us, but he does not accept all that we do. 
So we truly have to believe that he wants the best for us and he doesn't want us to settle for second best. That's why he brings discipline. He doesn't want us to get away with sin because he doesn't want us to settle. Anybody like me that you got caught for everything you ever did? Oh my word, I had a praying mother and I never got away with anything. I knew friends, man, they could get away with everything. And I'm like, how do you guys do it? I, don't, I, I have no idea how you do it. I got busted for everything. I'm thankful for that now. It was no fun at the time. But I would do all the sneaky, deceptive things, and, and I seemed to got, get busted for everything. My mom would know if I was lying. I mean, she, she just, I mean, there was just something. She had this thing in her. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think, I think my mom was part alien or something. You know, just had this unseen thing that could always figure out what I was up to. And I'd do the same thing to my friend. Yeah, we're going to go over my, you know, go to this place or that place. And, and she'd just kind of like, okay. And one time I was going to go somewhere else and then walk somewhere else. And my friends were doing something else and I wasn't supposed to go to this certain place. And I just said, yeah, we're going to go hang out with some friends. She goes, all right, I'll take you. And, uh, and then we go to the place where I, have, I was going to have her drop me off. And then I was going to go somewhere else. And she parks the car and gets out with me. I'm like, no, Mom, you can just drop me off. I'm here. My friends will be here in a little bit. And she goes, no, well, I'll wait for you. I'll, I'll wait with you for your friends. <laughs> we sat there about 15 minutes. I was trying to just wait her out. But then here's what she did. She goes up to this counter and get and orders a coffee. She's like, I got all day. I'm here all week if you want. And she just sits down and starts sipping this coffee. And I knew my day was done. And then I just confessed. I said, Mom, I had other. And she goes, I knew it. Let's get in the car. But I thank God for that now. Now. That was not a happy day. God loves us. And when we get disciplined, let's look at embrace his discipline. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you don't want me to get away with it. If I'd have got away with that that day, what else could I have, could have figured out how to get away with? And, and, you know, and then you just go in this path of, of deception and, and deceit. And, and, and God doesn't want us to figure out how to do that. It's not a spiritual gift to learn how to get away with things. And the very fact that God catches you, the very fact that he brings discipline, and the very fact that he orders coffee and says, I've got all week. I can wait. I, I'm way more stubborn than you are. And that he would take that time out for us and sit there and say, you're mine. And I refuse to let you settle for second best. And later on, when we were first married, I thanked my mom and dad for some of those things. Mom, thank you. Thank you for bringing that into my life. <laughs> I wasn't going to thank her that day, though. Because it was hard. He doesn't want us to forget why we were created, that he loves us deeply. In verse 5b, he gives a just kind of a warning. And he's quoting Proverbs 3 again, but he says this, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. You know, both of those responses are wrong. Number one, don't make light of it. Don't treat it as no big deal. Don't just say, well, whatever. Oh, well. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. That's why he's bringing discipline in our lives. Then he says, don't lose heart. And that's that where we receive the condemnation of the enemy and God's bringing conviction and the two can get very clouded. But when you start feeling condemned, Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. So if you're feeling condemnation, that is of the enemy. When you feel loving conviction and discipline, that is his love. So don't make light of it. Don't treat it as no big deal, but don't lose heart when he's disciplining you. Both responses are extremes and they're wrong. And they both have the same fruit. We don't change. If we make light of it, that means we're kind of being arrogant about it and I don't really care anymore. And you will not change and you will go in a deeper path 
darker path. If you get condemned and you're just feeling this, I'm, I'm worthless and I'm nothing and I'm condemned, what that does is hopelessness won't help you change either. So in closing, I want to talk about the wrong responses, then I want to end with the right response. The wrong responses when disciplined. First is deflection. It's not my fault. This is Adam and Eve when they sin, you know, and I talked about this, and God comes in the garden, he says, Adam, what are you doing? Where are you? And he immediately blames the sin on God. He said, the woman that you gave me. Okay, that's a problem. When you start blaming, blaming your problems on God, the one who is perfect, we've got a problem. But deflection, it's not my fault. Or I was because of my past. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to to say that, you know, the things that we endured from our past, abuse, neglect, those things, I'm not trying to say, uh, take those lightly because they're very real. But a lot of people live in the past and they live under those things and they're dictated by them and then they live lives dictated by them. You've got to let go of the past and not make excuses for our sin now and say, well, it was because of this and that is why I'm the way I am. God wants to make you a new creation in Christ and you don't have to live by that anymore. So deflection, it's not my fault. Um, it's another problem. It's because of this or that. It's that woman you gave me, God. It's her fault. Your fault. Second wrong response is pride. At least I'm not like that. And we excuse our behavior by saying that at least we're not like that. It's the guy in the, the, the Pharisee in the temple that says, I'm not like this guy. And we point at others. Pride also is I'm not open to correction. I don't give anyone permission to speak in my life. There's no one that has any permission to ask me hard questions. That is a prideful response. And we're not open to correction. And when somebody tries to bring correction, we have a wrong attitude. Or we get angry. We immediately go to anger when somebody brings correction instead of saying, God, what are you teaching me in this? What are you speaking Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool spurns his father's discipline. Spurn means to treat it with anger. But whoever heeds correction is sensible. We've got to check our heart. Here's the other wrong response, self-preservation. This is one I wrestle with. This is Saul, you know, when Saul blew it, you know, this is the king before David. And he had a major failure. And Samuel comes and confronts him and he goes, he goes, okay, okay, um, I, I was wrong, but now will you take me out and honor me in front of the people? He was always about the fear of man, what people thought, and, and I, I need to look good in front of people. Okay, yeah, okay, I blew it, all right, all right, all right, but now honor me in front of the people. Samuel one time was looking for him. Where's Saul at? He says he's building a monument to himself. That's a problem. Self-preservation. Protect instead of just being honest with the Lord. The other wrong response is self-loathing or hopelessness. Talked a little bit about that a minute ago. I'm awful. I'm, you know, there's no hope for me. And we go into this condemnation place of, of just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a worm and there's no hope and I'll never change. The problem is, is it, it, we won't ever change when we have that. And sometimes we use that to make the other person feel bad. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse like me? And my wife says something to me and I immediately go into kind of a self-loathing thing. It's not that I mean it. I'm just trying to make her feel bad for what she said to me. I'm just being honest here. I mean, I, I have you people. I don't need a counselor. I can just dump it out on you. The last one is this detachment or isolation. We run from correction. We run from people. We run from the body of Christ. I don't like it there anymore. I'll go to the other church. I'll go somewhere else. And, or, and, and, and this is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is isolation, detachment. Here's the problem with detachment and running away. Your problem is like a train that is on your back. You can change. You can try to change your circumstances and go somewhere else and do something else. And your problems are going to soon come after you. Unless we deal with them, it will follow us. Here's the right response. Embrace God's 
discipline. Open your arms to correction. The writer of Hebrews says it's painful for a season, but here's here's the good news. It's painful for a little while, but if we embrace it, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. Anybody use some righteousness and peace in their lives? He says, if you embrace my discipline, you will have a harvest of righteousness and peace. And it's going to take work. I mean, we, we're going to have to daily work on this. It's, a, it's again, a daily control issue. It's coming to God. It's being right with God, right with others, allowing people to speak into your life. Repent is a great word that's gotten a lot of negative play. But there is so much joy and so much peace and so much rest in repentance of saying, God, I've I've gone this way long enough. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go your way. Confessing our sins to him, confessing our sins one to another. It is freeing. It is cleansing. And it is ultimately joyful. And I love the honesty of the writer of Hebrews. He said, discipline is not enjoyable while it's happening. Can I get a witness there? He said, I'm not going to pretend to you that you're going to jump up and down and enjoy this. But if you will let it have its way, if you will see yourself as a child of God, if you will see it as God's intense love for you and you will get on the other side of it, you will look back and you'll say, thank you, God, because it brought a harvest of righteousness and peace. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10, as I close. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. This is his second letter to them. If you read 1 Corinthians, Paul had some hard words for the people there. He was an apostolic father, planted churches, and he loved them enough to confront them. And he spoke into their lives. And he, um, we're going to pick up this part of the letter, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Did you hear that? Some of them could have been offended or whatever. He said, if I brought you sorrow, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. That's the right response. Repentance is just to change. He's saying your your sorrow led you to repentance. Your your sorrow led you to change. Your sorrow didn't make you deflect or detach or go into self-loathing. Your your, your sorrow made you change. He said, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. Verse 10 is this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Did you hear that? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. God loves you. He loves me. He loves us as sons and he loves us as daughters. He wants freedom for us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants our response to be repentance because he has a plan and a destiny for our lives and he doesn't want us to settle for second best. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you today. Lord, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your love that is demonstrated sometimes in discipline. That you discipline us sometimes to prove that you love us. That you prove to everyone around that we're your sons and we're your daughters. And God, I pray today Lord, that through all of the words that I spoke, Lord, that we would embrace your discipline for our lives. God, I pray for godly sorrow that leads us to salvation and, and Lord, helps us to finish well. It helps us to run well. And it leads us to repentance, to turn and do it your way instead of our way. So God, come today, we pray, and help us to embrace your discipline, help us to love you more, and help us to realize and never forget that we're the sons and daughters of God. And I know it's a little late, but I'm going to open up the front here, and, and I'm going to pray for you, pray prayer closing in just a moment. But if you would like any prayer, I'm going to have our leaders and wives come up, and 
If God's dealing with you about something, you want someone to pray with you, someone to agree with you, and uh, I encourage you, if there's something that he's putting his hand on and that, that, that you need to make right with him, maybe you make right with others, and maybe you're trying to say, well, how do I do that? Well, God's got the answers for you. And the first thing is to get right with him and be in right relationship with him. And then secondly is to get right with others. We're going to put a CD. I think there's a CD on, in there, David. Um, and he'll just put that on. We'll have some background music playing. And, um, and, and if you need to go, God bless you. But if you'd like prayer for something, just come on up front. If you want to just be alone with God, you can do that as well. You can just hang out um, in, in your, right where you're sitting. But if you would like prayer for anything, we would consider it a privilege to pray for you. Um, Jesus, I pray a blessing over our week this week. I pray, Lord, a blessing over each person here that we would go in the love of God, that we would receive your love and then give that love away. We would reach up to you in worship every day, and that we would reach out to those around us. God, may we embrace your discipline so that we can finish well. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.